The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the ninth and tenth chapters. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits and cast them out to cure every disease and every sickness. These were the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You receive without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, or for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your word, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about what you are to speak for, or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Well, that's quite a reading for Father's Day. (laughs) I'm not preaching about that. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And we know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Suffering, endurance, character, and hope. 
These past two weeks, uh, I've been reading a really great book called Option B, Facing Adversity, Building Resilience, and Finding Joy. Uh, It's written by Sheryl Sandberg, who's the COO of Facebook, and Adam Grant, who's a professor at the Wharton School down at Penn. And the book revolves around the sudden death of Sandberg's husband, Dave, at the age of 47. He died of a heart attack. And Cheryl's journey through grief and what she learned in the process. The book is really, really good, and it also contains some good religious wisdom from Sandberg's own tradition of Judaism and Christianity, Buddhism, and Islam. And it has some great advice on how to be present and help others that are grieving or suffering. And though she doesn't cite our passage from Romans today, she easily could have. Because the book shares the story of how Sandberg and many others experienced that movement from suffering to endurance to character and to hope. She just uses a different word for it. She calls it resilience. Resilience in the face of tragedy, resilience in the face of grief and suffering and loss. And the title, Option B, comes from a conversation that she had with someone who had said to her, none of us is living our option A. Life is not perfect. We all live some form of option B. And so since option A isn't available anymore, we are going to do the heck out of option B. And so many of us are living our own option Bs. You know, life can go sideways and change in the blink of an eye. Our health is compromised, a strained relationship breaks, a parent's health suddenly slips, a child struggles to thrive, a friend dies far too young. Suffering touches us all. This book has been so helpful to me because I'm just aware lately of how much we as a community are experiencing these things. It seems like There's more than our share of grief and illness and caring for sick parents and kids and difficult relationship in recent days and weeks. And beyond us in our world, we see so many stories of people living their options B or option C or D or E or F or worse as people live among tragedy and poverty, driven from their homes, hungry and vulnerable, discriminated against. And this reading from Romans is paired with our gospel reading for today because we see similar struggles among Jesus' disciples. The story begins with Jesus going around and healing people with great compassion. And then he sends his disciples out and tells them to cure the sick and raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. He tells them to travel light, expect rejection, to be sheep in the midst of wolves, wise as serpents but innocent as doves. He warns that they'll be handed over and flogged, dragged before governors and kings and worse. As they go out, they will be variously received and rejected. And I was actually going to cut down our reading for today, not only because it was a little long, but because it went on and on about their struggles. It seemed a little redundant and messy. But that actually became the moment for me to stop and pay attention. Why cut off the reading? Why run from it? Let it speak for itself, because the challenges that the disciples face, the messiness of it, the mashup of the good and the bad, the acceptance and the rejection, 
speak to our own experiences as well. The disciples also had to find their option B when things didn't go well, when later when Jesus died and later again when he rose from the dead, each time having to wonder, what do we do now? How do we respond? At the same time I was reading option B, uh, I was listening to a podcast interview, which I seem to do a lot these days, and it was an interview with Cheryl Strayed, who wrote the book Wild, uh, From Lost to Found on the Pacific Crest Trail. Maybe you've seen it or maybe you saw the movie with Reese Witherspoon. It's one of my favorite books, and I actually finished rereading it again just this week. And the story goes that in her early 20s, Cheryl Strayed was a hot mess. <laughs> and she decided to hike the Pacific Crest Trail which runs from the Mexican border to the Canadian border through desert terrain and the Sierra Mountains and the Cascade Mountains. She went so that she could find herself, to get away from her life, and to ultimately come to grips with the death of her mother, who died at the age of 45 from lung cancer when Cheryl was just 22 years old. That death, that grief, sent her spiraling out in every possible way. And over the course of her months-long trek through the PCT, she comes back to herself, reconciles with the death of her mother, resets and reboots her heart and mind. She moves from suffering to endurance, literally walking miles and miles on the trail every day, to character, finding out who she really was, and hope that she could be, and that she was by the end, transformed, that her life could move forward that she could love and be loved again. It's not a self-help book, but if you're going through something or haven't been able to get out from under a dark shadow of something that's happened to you in the past, it's a great read. And so in addition to being an author, Strayed uh, is a writing professor as well. And in this podcast interview, she said this, and I'll never forget it. She said, oftentimes our worst stories at the time become our best stories later on. Oftentimes, our worst stories become our best stories later on. The worst things that we go through, and even the small challenges and failures we experience, often make the best stories later on when we look back, as she does in her book, Wild. At the time, of course, it's all terrible. But later, when we look back and we retell the story with some distance, we can see how we found strength how people helped us, how we were not alone. Sometimes we can even find humor in it, discovering more about the meaning of life and see new possibilities we didn't see before. We can track the movement of our own suffering to endurance, to character, to hope. We discover what Sandberg says in her book, I am more vulnerable than I thought, but I am much stronger than I ever imagined. I am more vulnerable than I thought, but much stronger than I ever imagined. And we, like Sandberg and Strayed, can use our stories and experiences to help others. And so finally, as I wrap up this sermon-slash-book report, um, I wanted to share a really helpful part of Sandberg's Option B book about dealing with grief and suffering. Um, and she calls it the three P's, personalization, pervasiveness, and permanence, which research shows 
can hold us down and keep us stuck amidst our grief and suffering and loss. Personalization, pervasiveness, and permanence. And so personalization is the belief that we are at fault, that we are to blame for what has happened. We take the full responsibility for whatever it is that's happening. We're playing in our mind over and over again how we should have done this or that, like how Sandberg kept thinking about all the ways she should have made her husband take better care of his health. But she says, not everything that happens to us happens because of us. It's not all our fault, nor are we in control of everything that happens in this world or even in our own little worlds. But when we take it all up on ourselves, it prevents us from moving forward. Uh, That's why I love uh, one of the scenes in Goodwill Hunting, which must be a 20-year-old movie by now, but one of my favorites. And it's the story of this guy, Will Hunting, who is a young man and brilliant, but also very troubled. And he goes to see this counselor that's played by Robin Williams. Um, And they have a lot of back and forth throughout the movie. And then finally, kind of this breakthrough moment as they're in the office, Robin Williams' character says to him over and over again, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And Will at first resists it and riles against it and then breaks into tears that becomes the breakthrough moment of the story. Will had blamed himself for the physical abuse he had experienced at the hand of his father at a child. It compounded his suffering and he was stuck and he took the blame for it. So if you would say with me this morning, this is not all my fault. Could we say that together? This is not all my fault, and it's not. The second is pervasiveness, the belief that this event or situation will pervade every aspect of our lives. Sandberg felt that her husband's death cast a pall on everything else in her life, from family to work to relationships and more. And it was ever-present at the beginning, but friends pointed out to her how she still had great kids. She still had meaningful work to do. She had friends and family that loved her. And she began in the midst of her grief to keep a journal of the things that she was grateful for each day. And when she was feeling dazed and out of it at work, she kept a daily short list of things that she had accomplished that day. And then she kept a short list of the things that brought her joy. And she realized in the process that there was still so much good in her life. The loss of her husband was a huge thing, but not the only thing. And there are good things and things to be grateful for and even to celebrate in the midst of tragedy. So say with me again, if you would, this is not my entire life. This is not my entire life, and it's not. Third and finally, we have to overcome our feeling of permanence, the belief that the aftershocks of this event will last forever. When we suffer, we tend to project our suffering out indefinitely. But as both Sandberg and Strayed chronicle each in their own different ways, We do come through it, and these moments do not last forever. Suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope and a future. So say with me if you would, it will not be like this forever. 
It will not be like this forever. And it won't. Things always happen. Suffering touches us all. What matters is how we respond. There are ways of responding that keep us stuck, and there are ways of responding that give us life and help us to heal. Like the disciples, we need to kick the dust off those three Ps and keep walking, keep moving into the hopeful future that God desires for us. For Jesus himself suffered and suffered death and died and rose again so that we too might live a new life, that we too might have a new future. Maybe that's God's option B for us. For we know that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Amen.